Morning, everyone. Um, fantastic to all be together, more of us uh, together. Uh, g'day at Avoca, uh, not Avoca this session, g'day up in the hall. Um, sorry, I've I just been told I shouldn't wear black, so I'm just a floating head for you guys, but um, yeah, sorry about that. Um, EV Grove's been fantastic the last few weeks. Uh, next week we kick off Psalms, so make sure you uh, grab a Psalms daily read notes if you haven't already. Um, they start tomorrow if you want to get into Psalms in the Word personally. Uh, let's, let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much that uh, we can call your fa you, you Father, that you love us. And uh, we do ask this morning, please, Lord, let your word dwell richly amongst us. Uh, as we reflect on what has just been read, as we hear the truth proclaimed, and as we speak the truth in love to one another. Amen. Um, many years ago, at my previous church, um, I was involved in many years with youth ministry. And um, after youth ministry on Friday nights or church on Sunday nights, often we'd go at the back of church and skate. Uh, our church um, was backed onto a car park, uh, which backed onto a set of shopping centres. So you'd have the loading dock of the shopping centres, car park, church. So a great place um, to skate. I was never a very good skater, but all the young ones got heaps into it. And they're nice ramps and places to skate there. And um, one day we're out there and discovered this um, whole bunch of um, milk crates, you know, those blue plastic milk crates. And one of the young guys worked out, you could, you could actually stick the milk crate on your skateboard and then roll down, sitting, sitting on it, roll down a ramp. Like, that was heaps of fun. Actually, you can stack two on top of each other. Yeah? Three, four. And actually, if you stack a whole bunch next to it, you can climb up on them and get up to seven. <laughs> it'd have people, we'd have to help them up on top and get them ready and then push them down. And, and, and just capture that image in your mind for now. Imagine you sitting on, on, on top of it, rolling along, seven milk crates stacked on each other, on a small skateboard, rolling down a hill. Every bump, every crack, every wind, every imbalance, every threatens the constant risk of crashing badly. Many people live their Christian life exactly like that. Many churches live their church life like that. Non-stable, solid, grounded, rooted, but rather unstable, rocking back and forth with each different idea, each different view of society, each false teaching that comes their way, the pleasures and the comforts of this world, at any moment at risk of a horrendous crash. They're immature in their Christian faith or immature in their church life. And as we heard last week, heaven and hell are at stake. This is not a game. This is about our eternal destinies. And it's not just about becoming a Christian. That is critical. But it's about remaining, growing, moving forward as a Christian, coming to maturity as a Christian. How do you want to be as a Christian? How do you want our church to be? See, it's possible to be an infantile Christian, an infantile church. You see the image there in verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants. Infants when we're meant to be adults. Immature when we're meant to be mature. Like a child. Uh, children lack direction. Stability. They flip from one thing to the next. They want instant gratification, are easily manipulated, are not responsible. Christians can be like that. Churches can be like that. I found parenting a, a very, very complex thing. And one of the things that makes it very complex is from the very moment you, you look at that beautiful baby, look into their face, they're growing, they're changing. 
parenting changes every day, every week, every month. And, and, and some of it's a bit sad because there are things my little baby needed me to do that I no longer need to do. Now, I'm glad about some of them. I don't want to change nappies anymore. I don't want to feed them. But eventually they don't need me to click them in in the car. They don't need me to hold their hand. They don't need me to teach them how to drive because they're driving. They don't need me. They, they grow up. And so the things I used to do for them I no longer need to do. There's sadness, but there's a deeper joy, isn't there? Because that's what kids are meant to do. They're meant to grow up to become adult, mature, self-starters, who delay instant gratification for future awards, who make wise decisions, who are solid, stable, thinkers, responsible, clear-minded. We want this sort of growth for our kids. And the child who doesn't grow up is an embarrassment to their parents or should be. Now, some Christians and churches are exactly like that, like Peter Pan, the boy who never grew up. We can be the Christian infant. We can be the church that's an infant, immature, unstable, in danger. And remember, heaven and hell are at stake. How do you want to be as a Christian? How do you want to be as a church? There's a second image there in verse 14 tied to the image of infants as that of being tossed back and forth in the churning ocean. Like a person in a small sailing boat out in the middle of the ocean, huge winds and waves blowing and tossing them back and forth. I remember being at a camp uh, down at Lake Macquarie, and uh, it, was a, it was a water camp, there was a guy out in a sailboat, and um, the, this great storm front comes racing in. He sees it, he's trying to get away. But as he's 200 metres from shore, it just grabs him, just grabs him he's gone, just, just disappears. We ran all the way down the beach, probably a couple of kilometres before we actually found him. He's okay, but totally at the whim of the wind. No stability, no safety. We can be Christian infants who are so unformed in the truth that we're tossed and blown here and there by every sort of false teaching. Churches tossed here and there by every fashion, fad, new societal change or thing that flows through the church. How do we want to be as Christians? How do we want to be as a church? Because we could be, in contrast, like the church described in verses 15 and 16. The church who speaks the truth in love to one another. That is, the church who has a context of loving, caring, rich relationships. And in that context, they speak the truth regularly to one another. The Word of God dwells richly. The church who is growing to become a mature body, not infantile, growing up to match our head. That is Christ-like. And the church that is united as one, one body under one head, Jesus, our King, being directed by him and each part serving, building the church in love together. Now, it's a wonderful picture. We'll look more at it. A church filled with unity and love and truth and maturity and Christ-likeness and service of our Lord and each other and growth. The mature church, not the baby infant church. How do you want to be as a Christian? How do you want to be as a church? This EV Grace series we called Pursuing Our Purpose. They're the things we're really passionate about. What we've looked at each week is what is God's purpose for us as a church? And the same this week, what is God's purpose for us as a church? Or chapter 4 verse 1 puts it slightly differently, but it's really the same question. What does it look like to live a life worthy of the calling we've received as Christians? Have a look at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. 
What is our purpose as Christians, as God's church? What does it look like to live a life worthy of the calling we've received as Christians? Well, the first thing that I notice in that verse is the then. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you. Now, why is the word then there? Well, it's to point them back to everything that has gone previously in the letter. In view of the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This verse is the turning point in the letter, the hinge of the letter. First half of Paul's letter, first three chapters, is spelling out their identity as Christians, who you are if you're a Christian. The last three chapters is Paul spelling out in practical detail what it will mean to live a life worthy of this calling, a life worthy of who you are as a Christian. So what is their identity? What is their, their calling as revealed in the first three chapters? Well, their identity, our identity, is defined by the incredible thing that God is doing in the universe. In taking sinners, rebels against God, people who stand under his wrath, and in his grace calling people back to himself, making them his holy people, adopting them as his children, forgiving our sins, saving us from his wrath, uniting us to Christ, and so uniting us to each other. Jew and Gentile. People previously hostile to each other, united together, all saved by Jesus, united as his people. Which is a foretaste of the future, when all things under the lordship of our King Jesus will be united together, summed up, united under him for all eternity. This is who you are as a Christian. This is the calling we have, been, have received. And now, in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Since you have received this calling, saved by Jesus to be God's children, united to him and to each other. Since you've received this calling, I urge you, live a life worthy of it. Live up to it. Live in step with it. Be who you are. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Now, how? Well, the rest of the passage, passage unpacks it. How to live a life worthy of the calling and gives us a really clear picture of it. So how do we? How do we live a life worthy of the calling we've received? Well, firstly, live in loving unity, verses 2 to 6. Live in loving unity. If we're to live a life worthy of the, our salvation, then the very first thing that is essential is living out the unity that we have in Christ. And as I've already said, it's not creating a unity that doesn't exist. Christ has united us and brought us together. It's keeping a unity that does exist. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace because verse 4 there's one body and one spirit just as you're called to one hope there's one body one people of God one spirit who lives within all Christians one eternal hope through the Lord Jesus Christ and verse 5 one Lord one faith one baptism there's one Lord Jesus Christ one common truth about him one baptism, which I think is shorthand for conversion into the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 6, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all, utter unity in God himself, utter unity in his rule over all things, and so utter unity in his people. Christ has broken down division of Jew and Gentile, of slave and free, of all the division that existed beforehand, and has united us together, saving us by his death and resurrection so that we have unity in Christ. It's, it's objective reality. So be who you are. Live out the unity that you have in Christ. 
Because we have such unity, such oneness, we must keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In fact, verse 3, Paul says, make every effort. It takes effort and is essential. So how practically, how practically do you keep the unity of the Spirit that we have in Christ? Well, verse 2, very practical. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. If we're going to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, then we are to practice these things. This is a picture of what unity in Christ looks like. This is a picture of what a life worthy of our calling looks like. This is a picture of what Christian maturity looks like. Humility. Humility is a profoundly Christian virtue. In the Roman world, humility was seen as weakness. The Roman world where Christianity grew up and spread, humility was utter weakness. Rather pride, self-promotion, self-aggrandizement, everyone honouring you, they were the marks of the great Roman citizen. Only the gospel of Jesus could so change the Western world that humility came to be something deeply valued and practised by our world. Now that's on the wane as our society slides back towards the paganism of the Roman Empire. But still in some measure, humility is valued. Humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Put others before yourself. Think less of yourself and more of others. Don't be about looking to be seen as great, seen as important, seen to be the winner, seen to be the achiever, seen to the one who is honoured. Be like the Lord, the humble servant, does the lowly things, does the things that no one else sees, does the things that help others, that lift others up, that push others forward, where you step into the background humble. Gentle, gentleness, sometimes translated meekness, but not to be confused with weakness. It's power restrained, strength held in check by tenderness and care and love. It's holding back your power in order to cause no hurt or harm or hindrance to another. We talk about the gentle giant, the the large, huge man's strength and size who could really cause hurt to someone, but they're gentle and so careful with their strength and size, not to cause hurt or harm, they're tender rather. And if you think about where your strength personally lies, your power personally lies, you might be able to see some areas in which you could develop in gentleness. So is your power in your physical stature and appearance and, and, and presence? Is your power in your looks? Is your power in your wealth? Is your power in your intellect, in your relational prowess, in your ability to argue, in your ability to intimidate, in your quick wit, in your popularity, in your success, in your... If you have strength or power in any of these or other areas, you can wield them unconcerned with the fear, hurt, harm they cause to Christian brothers and sisters. We can cause others to feel threatened or unsettled or uncomfortable or overwhelmed, or we can be gentle. Restrain our strength in these and other areas to protect and care for and serve and look after and love. Patience. A dying practice in our society, isn't it? Why would I ever have to be patient if everything I ever want is just to click away? (laughs) Every answer, every entertainment, every purchase, every distraction, every communication, almost instantaneous. In fact, don't we now feel impatient if the internet's running a little bit slowly? Could could you go back to (laughs) dial-up? Don't we feel, you know, horror of horrors? How do I cope if the internet goes down for an hour? My life is, as I know it, is over. How are we ever going to learn patience in this sort of world? That's our challenge, isn't it? Being patient is Christian. 
mature, patient with my circumstances, patient when things aren't going my way, patient in difficulty and pain and suffering, patient with each other, with our annoying quirks and our annoying traits and rough edges and lack of maturity and sins not yet sanctified. Otherwise, impatience leads to frustration breaking out and hurting one another. Patience is the mark of Christian maturity and keeps the unity amongst us. So can I encourage you, keep cultivating patience, maybe even just in these small ways. I could learn that thing I want to know right now by clicking on Google, or why don't I just wait an hour just to learn a little bit of patience? I could buy that thing right now. I've got the money, it's a good thing to buy. I've wanted it for quite some time. Or why don't I wait a week? Just see how that feels and if I can cope with that. Just learn some patience. I could watch that Netflix show. I've been waiting for ages. It's coming out this month. Or I, why don't I just wait a month and then I'll watch it. Give it a try. But far more important is to grow in patience with each other. Which leads to the next and last one, which is bearing the truth in love. Bearing with each other in our faults and imperfections and leaving room for God to be working and changing us. And so not jumping to anger, to vengeance, to calling for justice, to thinking the worst of others, to telling someone else how bad this person is, to it's not making much of the slights done to us or the pains caused to us, but rather bearing with, forgiving, loving, being kind, letting minor things slide. How can we live a life worthy of the calling we've received? Well, a life worthy, a mature life is a life of humbleness, gentleness, patience, love, unity. This is Christian maturity. Character, deep character. The immature Christian is the one who is always in conflict with others. Always difficulties, always problems, always complaints, criticisms, stands apart, stands over, stands against. The immature church is the church where there's factions and fights and disunity and is without love. When I reflect on these attributes, these characters, I find I've got a way to go. Don't you have a way to go? Let's grow together in these things. How do we live in a manner worthy of the calling we've received? Live in loving unity, one. And second, live in word-fueled ministry. Verse 7 to 12, word-fueled ministry. In verses 7 to 10, you get some complex verses, but they give an incredible insight into what the victorious Lord Jesus is doing today. They're about Christ, the victorious, exalted King. And in verse 8, you see there, you get a quote from Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is, is a victory psalm. It recalls the mighty victory that God won against the Egyptians in saving his people from slavery and bringing them out of Egypt. God fought on their behalf and won the victory for them. And then the psalm asked God that he would fight again for them on, on their behalf. And the bit quoted here from Psalm 68 in verse 8 pictures God having, having won the battle and then ascending victorious, exalted, to his position of rule on Mount Zion, the holy city of Jerusalem, leading his, his foes, his captured foes in his train and distributing gifts to his people. Happened a lot in the ancient world. You, you'd come back as the conqueror to your city, leading the captives behind you and distributing gifts to the people. Paul picks up this imagery and says, this is actually fulfilled in Jesus, in the greatest victory of God. See, what a wonderful victory the Exodus was, but it is a shadow of the incredible reality to which it points, the shadow of the victory to come in by Jesus' death and resurrection. See, verse 9, 
Christ descended to the lower earthly regions, that is, the earth, as a man. And has now ascended by his death and resurrection higher than the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That is, Christ has ascended victorious by his death and resurrection to rule in power over all things and bring all things to unity under him. And in his exaltation, he is dragged behind him defeated foes of sin, of death, of Satan, of the rulers and the powers and the heavenly realms, all conquered by his work on the cross. And from this exalted position as king, ruler over all things, he has poured out gifts upon his people. And the gifts are for the building of the church. See verse 7? The victorious Christ has apportioned grace to each one of us as he determines. Now, it's not talking about saving grace here. It's rather the grace of, of abilities given to Christians for the building of the church. And Christ apportions it differently to each of us. But notice the gifts mentioned in this passage are actually not abilities. They're actually the people given to the church for the building of the church. The prophet, the apostle, the evangelist. From his victorious, exalted position... Christ has poured out gifts upon his people by his spirit, giving these people to his church for his church's good. Now this gives us an amazing insight into what the victorious Jesus is on about, is doing today. What is the exalted Christ doing? In his victory, he has given us to each other, all gifted in different ways, so that together we build the church. And so to live in a manner worthy of the calling we've received is to live in ministry, service, using our gifts and all that we are to build the church. But notice where Paul goes first. Before speaking about our general ministry and service of all God's people to build the church, he first speaks about something fundamental, a fundamental piece in building the church upon which everything else rests, the equipping word of God, the fuel See, it's the word of God that fuels our ministry. Have a look at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. All the gifts mentioned in verse 4 have something in common. That is, they're all gifts of the word. They're word gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, word gifts, speaking the word to God's people or to the unconverted world, speaking the word, word gifts given to the church. And these are given by Christ to his church for the purpose of verse 12, equipping all God's people for works of service. What is the fuel of God's church, the fuel for service, for ministry? What's the word of our King? The word of our King Jesus is what equips us, stirs us to serve the church. Jesus has given word ministers that they might pour out this word into the church, that we might speak it in truth to one another so that we might be equipped for service and in serving we might build the church. Fuel. Uh, years ago when I first got my license, fuel was a scarce commodity. I had no money. I had a car but no money. And so I'd, I'd buy as much fuel as I possibly could um, and I'd drive around and eventually I'd just run out, park my car on the side of the road and I kept a BMX in the boot. So I'd just open my boot, grab my BMX and I'd ride wherever else I had to go. Without fuel, you're going nowhere. Without a vision for the eternal realities, 
without an understanding of God's purposes in the world, without a sense of who we are in Christ, we'll never be motivated and equipped to serve in the way that we should. We need the Word of God to be opening our eyes and together fueling us for the service of God's church. Our ministry is a Word-fueled ministry. You, with your unique abilities, your personality, your gifts, all that the Lord has made you to be, you have been given by the exalted Jesus to his church so that you can serve, we together can serve, to build it as we're equipped by the word of God. How do we live it no matter worthy of the calling we've received? Live in loving unity and word-fueled ministry for the result of robust maturity. Verses 13 to 16, robust maturity. What's the result of our loving unity and word-fueled ministry? Dip back in verse 12. To equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's also we're built into maturity, adulthood, no longer Christian infants. Now it's worth noticing that the word up next to built is not actually there in verse 12. It, it, it just says, so the body of Christ may be built, which I think is helpful because built up has the sense of Christians being built up, which is definitely part of it, but it loses the sense of non-Christians being built in. It's just about the church being built, seeing people built in, come to faith in Christ and built up, growing in their faith in Christ. We live in unity, fueled by the word, serving with our diverse gifts so that the body of Christ may be built, more people in and saved, all of us growing up till all of us reach the end goal, maturity, adulthood. That's what Jesus is concerned about and doing in the world. Building his church to robust maturity. A maturity that looks like verse 13. Unity comes up again. Do you notice? Verse 13, unity until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Maturity is about unity, not just the means to maturity. All united together, but united together in the truth, in the faith, that is the body of teaching about Jesus, and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity in the truth is maturity. Together coming to a clear understanding and knowledge of who God is, knowing him personally. And maturity looks like verse 13. Christ-likeness. Second half of verse 13. We become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Maturity is having the fullness of Christ formed in us as individuals and as a church. That is becoming like Jesus. His priorities, his attitudes, his concerns, his character. And in verse 15, the idea gets, gets picked up again. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. We have a head, we're a body. We have a head. The head is Jesus. The head rules and directs the body. But he's a mature head, an adult head, a fully formed head. But we're a an immature body, a body growing that needs to grow in maturity so that our maturity matches the maturity of the head. He is fullness and we need to grow to all fullness like our head. We need to become like Jesus. 
Now, for me, this brings a weird image to mind. It's, it's, you know, we, we often see nice photos of the new little babies on the screen. Imagine if we popped a new little baby on the screen and there was an adult head with a beard and everything and a little, and a little baby, little baby boy. I think that's something of what's going on here. Jesus is the mature adult head, the fully formed man, what, what, what he is, what we are to become. But we're the little baby body. And we need to develop and grow and become the full man so that the body grows to match the head. And in verses 14 to 16, the picture of maturity continues on, which we've already briefly reflected on. But the mature church is the church that's not tossed about by fads and fashions and false teaching. No, 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 it's stable. The mature church is the church that loves one another, speaking the truth of God's word to each other. Growing in Christ-likeness. Are you getting a picture? Unity, service, building the church in love as each part does its work. Loving unity and word-fueled ministry are how we grow to robust maturity. But they're also what robust maturity is. Practicing loving unity and practicing word-fueled maturity grow us into um, ministry, grow us into maturity. But they're also what maturity looks like. They're the means and the end. Living together in loving unity is how we grow to maturity. But the mature church is the loving church, the unified church. Humbly sitting under the word of God so that we are are stirred and equipped for service and so serve each other to build the church is how the church grows to maturity. But it's also what a mature church looks like, sitting humbly under the word of God and serving one another. We're to practice the very things we're seeking to become. It's not like we have um, Tuesday night training and then the Saturday game. And Tuesday night training, you know, we do some some drills, we do some um, fitness training, we do some set plays, and then Saturday you do the real deal and you do the game. Uh, They're one. Um, The things that grow us in maturity are what maturity is. So how do you live a life worthy of the calling that you've received? Live in loving unity and world-fueled ministry for robust maturity but but let me underline something here we can only express and develop these things together a maturity can only be expressed together and can only be developed together so take a loving unity you can only be unified you can only express unity if you're together you can't actually do it apart We can only express our unity by being together humbly and patiently and gently and bearing with one another. Otherwise, we don't have unity. And our loving unity can't be developed if we are apart, as it should be. How do you develop humility and gentleness and patience and the ability to bear with one another? Well, you spend lots of time together with each other and you find yourself in all sorts of situations where it's hard to be humble and gentle and patient and loving. Because as different people come together from all sorts of different backgrounds and different walks of life and different maturities and, and different, what we find is, wow, I'm nowhere as near as loving and patient and gentle as I thought I was. Painful but wonderful because it makes me grow in humility and gentleness and patience and together we can all do this like our, to become like our Lord. Our loving unity cannot be expressed or developed if we're not together. Take our word-filled ministry. This can only be expressed together and can only be developed together. We need to come together 
and hear those teaching the word with the word gifts so that we are fed and equipped and nourished so that then all God's people can be engaged in the work of service, serving one another together. Our world-fueled ministry cannot be expressed or developed if we're not together or take our robust maturity. This can only be expressed and developed together. It's only as we hear the word of God taught by those gifted by Jesus with the word gifts that we are then best enabled to speak the truth in love to each other. Um, it's a bit like a washing machine. Our washing machine's terrible. Our washing machine you can't put on at night in the off-peak time because it um, just keeps running. It just won't turn off. And worse than that, it, it sounds like an airplane coming into land. Like, I think three doors up and down, they, they can hear it. But I'll tell you what, we're not getting rid of that washing machine until it dies. But I'm sure you've got a washing machine that works properly. Um, washing machine, the, the water pours in. In the fill cycle. Where it's got, fills up, fills up. And then it's wash cycle. The water sloshes back, forward, back. The clothes mix. Friction amongst the clothes cleanses them and they get all clean. Those with the word gifts are, are, are to be filling the church with God's word, pouring it in, pouring it in amongst us, pouring it in amongst us, pouring it in amongst us, every opportunity, everywhere. We, so that we together slosh the word back and forth amongst each other speak the truth in love to each other encourage challenge remind share things we're learning from growth group from quiet times from church the things we hear each and in this way we grow together as god's church we need one another our maturity can't be expressed or developed if we're not together let me finish with three applications then the need just to be together how precious it is to be with you all. How precious it is to be together. How essential it is to be together. We can only grow and express our unity, our service, our maturity if we're together. We can't be the mature body if parts of our body are not with us. For many of us, we're back together. <laughs> and we just wish we could be back together more. And with the latest restrictions easing, that, that does um, look likely. Pray that the Lord would free us from this virus, would free us from these restrictions and there'd be no hindrance to gathering. But while there is, grab every, grab every opportunity you can to get back together. Um, and, and we heard Ben shared, if you're coming here in the round, then pretty much you can get here every week. And in other places, you know, two, two in three, so, so go for it. But it is worth recognising that it's possible for, for, uh, for some people to have got out of the habit of coming together. And it feels scary to come together. It may feel a bit daunting. They, they're not sure which service to go to. They're not sure where their friends are. They're not sure what it's going to be like. They're... And so can I encourage us all, let's be chatting to each other, talking to each other about where we're planning to go, inviting people along with us. When you bump into someone in the shops or you bump into someone down at the beach, they haven't made it back to church yet. Share how good it is. Share where you're going. Encourage them and invite them to come along with you. Uh, whole growth groups organised to come together. That sort of thing will help us heaps. The, the need just to be together. Second, the need to have a place to be together. The big thing about EV Grow is that we want to grow in maturity the fully formed church that Christ wants us to be. We want to be reminded of God's purposes for his church and reinvigorated in these. 
But the other key piece is recognizing how essential it is to have buildings, to have property, to have a place to get together to do the really important things. To get together to live in loving unity. To get together to serve in word-fueled ministry. To get together to express and practice robust and develop in robust maturity. But we need a place to do this. A place that keeps the rain off and keeps the sun out. But more than that, that enhances what we do. We hear the word proclaimed. Where, where it actually enables us to speak the truth in love to each other. Where it enables small group ministries and youth ministries and kids ministries. And enables all this really critical important stuff to happen for a growing number of people as week by week people are added to our number. So that the church of Christ might be built. It's like um, a family home. I really like my family home. <laughs> um, but it's not my family. If there's a fire, I'm going to save my family and I don't really care about the family home. However, the family home is important because it houses my family. And it actually enables and facilitates and I think even enhances the way we do our life together and grow together and love one another and but it's just a house that houses the important thing the family same with the property the buildings like a family home that houses us together as god's family and and, and even facilitates and enhances togetherness and growing and love for one another and so as we've heard ev grow is an opportunity to some for the first time commit to others to recommit to contributing to paying the family repayments and paying down the family loan together so that we have a great place to be together that works for the building of God's church, the critical things of growing together. As for me and my family, as we contribute to paying um, towards EV Grow, it's not the buildings on their own that excites me. <laughs> it's what happens in and around the buildings, the unity, the proclamation of the word, the service, the growth, the love, the building in, the building up. And the physical buildings make this possible and actually enhance what we do for this generation and future, unless the Lord comes. And so in my mind, I just see a really clear connection to financially contributing to the property, the buildings, and how that impacts the spiritual growth of the Church of Christ. And that excites me. Third, the need to be together for each other. When we are together, the shape of our life together is to be for each other. We have been given gifts by the exalted Christ and we have these gifts to use and serve with one, in, to one another. We're not consumers but servants, we're ministers. And I'll tell you right now, we need that more and more. As things open up, as restrictions ease, the things we push pause on during COVID, we need to restart. And so now is the opportunity for people to re-engage back into their ministries or jump into ministries for the first time. And you can imagine where, the, where one of the really key points is, kids. More people can gather in these buildings, which means more kids can gather, which means we need more teachers. And so as we ramp up kids, again, pray, consider, is that an area I could serve? When we come together, we come together for each other, for serving each other. When we come together, we come to speak the truth in love to each other. Hear the word proclaimed. Have it start to settle deep. 
things I'm learning in growth group and personal borrowing, bounce those around, slosh them around, share them with each other, encouraging, comforting, sometimes challenging. We're not consumers. We're here for each other, to, to share each other, with each other. We're here to love each other, to speak the truth in love, speak the truth in the context of loving, serving, caring one another. Not here as consumers, but to love one another deeply from the heart. We have a unity to keep together. As we spend time together, we have the opportunity to develop in patience, to practice humility, to be gentle, bearing with each other in love. We need to do this and we need people to do this with us. We're not here as consumers. We're here to keep the unity that we have in Christ. We all need each other. We all need all of us. And in this context, we develop and express a life worthy of the Lord, a life of maturity. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, we pray, pray, please draw us all back together. And please draw us all back together with a great heart for each other. Please grow us together in loving unity, in word-fueled ministry, and in robust maturity. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.